Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Downrange Podcast. I'm Cody, your host. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Tyndale. He's a retired from the United States Army. Jeremy spent the majority of his time in 1st Ranger Battalion. His time there included 13 combat deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan. Later in his career, he decided to leave 175 and transition to a role as career counselor. Today, Jeremy is the program manager for Operation Double Eagle. Enjoy. Yeah, so Jeremy Tyndall, uh, I'm the current program manager for a nine-week workforce development program for veterans called Operation Double Eagle. Uh, before I, I dive into the program, though, I'm a 20-year uh, Army veteran, uh, disabled veteran as well. I uh, spent the first two-thirds of my career, I was a member of the 75th Ranger Regiment in the Army. So I did the Airborne Ranger thing for about 12 years. <clears throat> Early in my career, I had suffered a catastrophic incident where uh, we were doing a, a, a training over in South Africa and jumping out of planes. I had a midair entanglement with another jumper and I ended up uh, crashing into the ground and uh, pretty much crushed all the lower vertebrae in, in the, the lower of my back and uh, took about two years to recover couldn't do the infantry thing anymore. So I ended up changing over to, uh, in the army, it's called a career counselor or uh, MOS is 79 Sierra. So basically, um, I did all the retention and, uh, reenlistment stuff. So, uh, dealing with the manning and, uh, the transition of soldiers, uh, it kind of kicked off my passion for helping people and what I do now. I retired in March of 2018. So shortly after retirement, um, I, I started getting into some of the nonprofit space, uh, working with a couple of organizations, mainly out of Atlanta, uh, even though I resided in uh, Augusta. A friend of mine uh, and I, we, uh, we, we started to put together a chapter for an organization that, uh, that helps combat veterans and professional athletes. And then uh, I, I met uh, the... Uh, operational director for the Warrior Alliance, which is the organization I work for now. His name is Jared Turner. Jared introduced me to his boss, the, uh, the president and CEO of the Warrior Alliance, Scott Johnson. After doing a couple interviews and, and working around the organization a little bit, they had introduced Operation Double Eagle to me. And uh, they, were, they were trying to bring it to fruition in Augusta, Georgia. And after a, a, a I guess, failed an attempt in Warm Springs, Georgia, to create the program. And then uh, I said, sure, why not? It's right there uh, in my backyard in Augusta. And uh, so I, I came on board uh, just doing some kind of part-time and volunteer work with them. And then uh, from there, it's just kind of evolved. That's awesome. So real quick for the listeners... The Warrior Alliance, based out of Atlanta, Georgia, primary mission is to connect warrior and veteran service organizations, government agencies, businesses, educators, and other community resources committed to helping veterans thrive. Whether searching for a volunteer opportunity, a job, or even a support group, they assist warriors in navigating through their transition decisions. 
The other thing that I think is cool and looking at the website and doing some research on this prior to is how the warrior services and what categories they're broken down into. And that's helping warriors, veterans through transition and after transition as well, but helping them find health, education opportunities, employment, recreation opportunities, housing, volunteer opportunities, their benefits, which is huge. And we'll probably dive into that a little bit more, but also trying to engage the entire family in the, their process. And if that means additional legal or financial support, they have services available for that as well. Underneath the Warrior Alliance is what Jeremy said, and that's Operation Double Eagle, which I'm very interested in, want to find out more, based in Augusta, Georgia. I don't want to jump all over your words, but I think here Operation Double Eagle is trying to get veterans back into the golf space, and that's primarily through turf grass programs with the goal to employ those veterans, lead them, and engage in getting their certification training and golf course maintenance. So really, really cool. I thank you for taking the time to talk about that today. And kind of, I guess, if you could describe or tell us what actually is going on with Operation Double Eagle, we can start there. Well, most recent, we just graduated our fourth cohort. So we've we've put now in the, the last 18 months, 35 veterans have come through our program. Uh, over 80% of those uh, have found themselves in the, work for, uh, in the workforce. And then another 10, almost 15% have actually gone on to continue education within the golf course management and uh, horticulture uh, arena. But uh, workforce development, it, it, it's, it's really cool to see service members that have transitioned out of the military or even, you know, Cody, you know, you, you transitioned out of the military a while back, just like I did. And, and it's a constant transition. You know, right. you don't just transition once. It's an ever evolving transition in life, be it that you're going to another career, be it that you're going on to uh, further education and then further to a career is always a transition. So Operation Double Eagle there is, is there to impact lives. And if you don't have a career path, we're giving you a skill set that uh, we can line you up with employers that are looking for career minded individuals. We're not looking for job uh, individuals. You know, we're, we're looking for those that want to get part of a organization and become part of their family is what we like to say. But Operation Double Eagle, it's really unique. So we bring you in and uh, in collaboration with Augusta Technical College, we'll, we'll do a, uh, academics. And then we take, and what we have uh, is a mock par three uh, at the Augusta Municipal Golf Course here. We apply the academics with hands-on training. So, you know, the first couple of weeks, you're learning about identification of weeds and pests. And then following that, you're going to learn about how to uh, put out post-emergence, pre-emergence, pesticides, herbicides to get rid of those problems. And then you're going to get into the maintaining of the turf. Uh, you're going to learn about irrigations and drainage. Uh, and then, you know, you'll, you'll further some of the horticulture stuff with landscaping uh, and even designing. So a lot of cool aspects um, out of that, because we are um, uh, partnered with Augusta Technical College, uh, we are uh, giving for free um, four classes that equate to uh, 14 credit hours of college. And it's all accredited. 
uh, through the Technical College System of Georgia. So you get an actual certificate uh, that states that you are a landscape and turf grass uh, specialist at the end of the program, all free. Uh, if, uh, if any individuals come from outside of the 50 mile radius of Augusta, Georgia, we put you up in a hotel. So no uh, out of expenses from there. Uh, we'll, we'll be providing a, a, sti a, a stipend or a per diem uh, to help offset costs of meals and stuff like that uh, throughout your, uh, your time here. So lots of benefits from it. No kidding. That's incredible. And I'm guessing that the money for this program and everything like that is coming through the Warrior Lines. Yeah, so there's a lot of private, uh, private uh, donations and funding. Uh, we are obviously uh, seeking out through uh, the industry for organizations to support through donations. Um, the last class was actually supported by Sirius XM Radio. Uh, they gave us a, a nice little chunk of, uh, of money to uh, help support the program. But, you know, we've had industry standards like uh, Eric Wadsworth Golf. They're a major landscape company. So if you have veterans out there that are interested, where do they need to go to to sign up for the program? Uh, so they can go to uh, they can go directly to Operation Double Eagle org or they can navigate through the Warrior Alliance page and they can go to the Warrior Alliance org. And right on our home screen, there's a, a page that directs you to Operation Double Eagle. There's a, a quick little application on there uh, that each veteran can fill out. Uh, and then that application comes directly to me, and that's where I'll start uh, connecting with that individual, talking about the program. Awesome. And then I guess, you know, jumping from that, where did your background in golf kind of come from? Is this something that you grew up with, or is this a, a newfound post-retirement passion of yours? I, I had a little uh, interest in golf uh, before uh, I joined the military. Uh, so I, I probably golfed for, I don't know, maybe two, three years during high school and just out of high school, joined the army just before my 20th birthday. So I, I was hanging out in a, uh, at a machine shop. And so a lot of the machinists uh, like to go out and go golfing on their, on their spare time. So I got into it when I was younger, not as young as some kids. Uh, I was telling you earlier, you know, I'm actually sitting, waiting to give my 11 year old daughter her golf clubs. I didn't start as young, but I, I've enjoyed the game. Obviously, being in special operations, it, it probably would have been a, a good uh, uh, de-stressor for the lifestyle that I live. But, you know, when you're always training or you're always at war, especially with the, the global war on terrorism lasting for 20 years, um, I probably should have golfed a lot more. But, uh, no, I, I enjoy the game. There is a, a therapeutic aspect, and I, I definitely preach on that for the program, that uh, being outside, being able to uh, dig in the ground, use your hands, see the fruits of your labor. Um, I think one of the biggest things throughout the program is uh, when, the, uh, when the candidates get on a lawnmower or onto like a fairway unit or a greens mower, it, it, they, they're sold right there. That stripe show, man. Uh, yeah, well, that, you know, you can throw some earbuds in and, you know, rock out to some tunes and just cut grass for a couple hours and be a, away from everybody, be away from all your problems and just, you know, uh, dedicate your time to your work. So where'd you grow up at, Jeremy? So I'm a San Diego uh, native. So my, uh, my grandfather was in the Navy for 32 years. He, uh, he, he threw my dad into the Navy for six. And, uh, you know, a conversation with my, grand, my grandfather before he passed away is, uh, he, you know, he said, hey, I've done enough time for this whole family. 
uh, in the Navy. So if you ever do decide to join the service, you join something else. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the army. <laughs> that's a good reason right there. At least he followed through on his words. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you joined at 20 years old. Did you have aspirations to be a ranger? Or is this something that came on later on? I, I really, and truly, I didn't know what the hell a ranger was. <laughs> um, so, so my, uh, my brash personality as a young man, uh, actually had some family friends that, uh, were, uh, prior army. I, I joined just, a, as a, uh, an infantryman, uh, with a, uh, a station of choice. So I was supposed to go to Hawaii, uh, just as a straight infantry. When, when the family friends found out, they said, uh, yeah, that, that lifestyle isn't going to suit what Jeremy's, uh, personality is. He would he would benefit more by going and learning from the best to go uh, shoot, kill and, and blow up bad people. And uh, what better way than to do it with the Army Rangers? What year was that? Uh, Ninety eight. God, you think back and like, you know, your adult life has been based off of that guidance that, that you receive from your neighbors. Yep. From your friends. Yep. But man, at the time, that sounds so like empowering and, and you're like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. But they didn't know the, what the other side of that knife actually means. And when you shoot, move and communicate and run as fast as you can for that long, there's also a bunch of crap that comes with it. And nobody yeah. ever wants to talk about that baggage. Yeah, I, I was truly uh, I was blessed and very fortunate uh, of having be, uh, been rerouted in my military career, you know, cause I was just a dumb private at Fort Benning going through, uh, OSIT infantry training. And, uh, you know, here I am on an FTX and I'm getting yelled and screamed at by my drill sergeant about who the hell do I know and everything else. And, and come to find out that, you know, our family friends had, had known and served with the infantry brigade commander. And so I ended up, you know, getting introduced and having lunch with the, uh, the brigade commander at the time, you know, it, it, they, they never saw this happen, you know, that, that some private just out of nowhere gets his orders and everything re readjusted and amended to go to airborne school and follow on to, uh, at the time, Ranger indoctrination program. Right. Uh, so, it, I mean, it was interesting, you know, I, I got, I got, uh, tailored to the drill sergeant had to take me after our blue, uh, blue cord ceremony and, uh, I had to go, you know, get a shower and change into new BDUs. That's that's a fun one to say, BDUs. But, uh, yeah, I, I got whisked away, met up with uh, Colonel Turner at the officer club, had lunch with him, and he kind of just, you know, told me what my new path was going to be of going to jump out of planes and then go to to train with the best to kill and, uh, and capture bad guys. And I was like, okay, sounds cool. Little did I know after I got picked up from airborne school by the Black Berets that uh, uh, it was my first uh, peek at hell. <laughs> exactly. If you knew I was on the other side of that box truck, uh, I think everybody that I talked to like, oh, yeah, you know, airborne school graduation. It's awesome. There's so many of your friends that are finally like, oh, yep, I'm going to the 82nd. I'm going to Italy. I'm going to Hawaii. You're like, OK, cool, boys. Where are we doing? all the names are just called off in this roster stand right here. You better stay on that blacktop. Yep. Black hats are coming. Yep. Yeah. When those, uh, when those black berets come marching down the, uh, the quad at airborne school and you see a big box truck packed or uh, you know, just parked away from the area and they tell you to grab all your stuff. 
and line up behind the box truck. And then you end up uh, running five miles, carrying all your stuff, looking at an empty box truck. It's the first, exactly. it's the first, uh, the first time that you're, you get this, this mindset, like, oh, I'm so screwed. Oh yeah. Dumb privates, man, air, especially in airborne school, you, you try to acquire as much crap as you can. So you got more than just your original <laughs> duffel bag and a couple of sets of clothes. Right. Yeah. I, I think I had, uh, I had two duffel bags and then like a big gigantic garment bag. So I was sucking and, it, you know, running around for five miles thinking you're lost. And then come to find out after you graduate rip, you're only a mile and a half up the street. <laughs> it's crazy how close it is once you realize where the hell you're at. So what was rip like for you? Oh, geez, it was hell. The, the amount of mind games that they play on you in the, in the 30 days that you're there. The, the ranger assessment and selection program nowadays, you know, it's, it's eight weeks long. So they mess with you for the good 30 days. And then the next 30 days uh, it's to focus on getting you uh, to a, a higher level of training before you report to the ranger battalion. Back then it was just teaching how to be a ranger. Yeah. Basically just molding everybody to be strong rangers. <laughs> yeah. Did you know what battalion you wanted to go to? Uh, since I was a West coast guy, I, I'd, I'd hope that I was going to go to to uh, Second Ranger Battalion, but I ended up down at uh, Hunter Army Airfield at First Ranger Battalion. What was One Seven Five like getting there? It's weird now to say this, but like pre-war, like what were you guys doing? Just tons of hardcore training, and you would think that uh, as hard uh, and as tough as the uh, the rip cadre and stuff were. When you show up to the battalion, it was like getting rele released to all these rabid Rottweilers. They just they wanted to just chew on you all the time. The worst thing that I ever had was you get done with rip and you finally go to battalion. And the first brand new tab that you run into that just chews your ass and then just smokes you just because he just got back and he just wants to smoke somebody. I'm like, oh, man, I thought the hard stuff yep. was over. I'm like, I had no clue that. No, man, every day is the hard stuff now moving forward. Yeah, that different, uh, differentiation of uh, a tab spec four and just uh, everybody else, you know, E4 and below. Uh, it, it was tough at first, but uh, yeah, when, when you realize that uh, the, the brand new dude that's just smoking the crap out of every private in the platoon, you know, he was just in your shoes, you know, 60 something days earlier. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So what you guys but, just running around battalion doing a ton of training, getting really good at, at airfield seizures. And then what was it like kind of moving in, you know, from first getting to, to battalion to really 2001 and September 11th. And that China changed the direction of everybody's career that was in the military. But I mean, really, if you could think back to those days and what was going through everybody's head. Um, this is it. This is what yeah. we train for. Uh, you know, like, uh, let's see. I, I want to say Charlie Company was over in Hungary uh, on a rotation. Our, our Alpha Company, they were at home doing some local training. Bravo Company was doing some local training because we were getting ready to uh, jump over to uh, Ready Force One or RF, RF1. Um, and, and so, you know, that Tuesday morning, September 11th, I had actually just got done to uh, going through the, the sergeant promotion board. And uh, I, I was uh, at our battalion headquarters and I was picking up my orders to go to PLDC the very next morning. 
So let me tell you that that's just a total mind screw with you that the world as we know it is being attacked. You know, our, our sovereign states are being attacked by terrorists. And here I'm going to go whisk away to Fort Stewart, Georgia for 30 days and, and be locked up, you know, <laughs> in Legland for some damn uh, uh, NCO training. It, it was a revolving uh, door of Rangers coming down and, and you know, seeing, seeing us every day, giving us updates of what was going on. And then about, uh, you know, two weeks into the, uh, October, we, we saw 3rd Ranger Battalion, you know, jumping into a objective rhino. And it was like, oh, man, th this is it. This is what we trained for. Now we're just waiting on our time to either go and augment with uh, with third battalion or, you know, get our own marching orders. So, you know, I find myself in Afghanistan in December of 2001, 13 deployments later uh, and almost uh, eight years accumulated time overseas. Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of told my wife, I said, uh, it, it's time for me to to move out into the conventional land and just bide my time. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to find myself into the jobs of where well, I'm not going to have to deploy anymore, but, uh, I ended up going to an aviation unit and landed into a one more 12 month deployment, uh, before I, uh, before I completely quit all my deploying. Wow. So when did, uh, on that timeline, when did the jump injury come in? Uh, I got injured. Uh, so 2003 is when I got injured. We had just come back from our, our Iraq trip, actually into the invasion of Iraq. So that summer, I believe it was second battalion. They were slotted to go to South Africa and do some training. And then, um, we ended up taking the, the we took the reins because they were overseas and uh, we did 30 days down there uh, as a, a national defense uh, exchange. And then in the 30 days, we were going to do a foreign jump wings exchange. And on, a, on that jump wing exchange is when I got injured. Crazy. Yeah. So lots, lots of deployments, like you said. Kind of a crazy time now if you, you look back. And, and I know you put a ton of time into Afghanistan and kind of watching things unfold now. I mean, I think probably the same as me and every other veteran out there. There's a slew of, of emotions and views and everything that come up from it. And, you know, I don't want to put you on a spot and, and say, you know, ask you what your, your opinions are or anything else like that. But I think the biggest thing is like, as a veteran, you, you get kind of put in these positions, no matter where you're at of like people seeking your opinion on things and wanting to hear your thoughts on it. And I'm sure within the program that you lead now, you're probably that guy for a lot of those guys. Cause number one, you're probably the only guy there that's retired and of rank and people look up to you and that's a good position to be in. So kind of walk me through that process and, and how you've been dealing with it or, or anything else that you've been doing. Well, I mean, being that, uh, you know, being a member of the 75th Ranger regiment and the 75th being the, the military's only, unit that stayed overseas for the entire you know 19 and a half years that we were there uh on on some sort of rotation my emotions of seeing everybody pull out was for my guys in, in the ranger regiment because they're tired and, and i know they're tired i mean heck one of my uh one of my good friends is the uh, command sergeant major of first ranger battalion right now and 
I believe he's surpassed, you know, 25 deployments overseas, almost 30 deployments overseas. So he spent a good bit of his career over there, if not all of it. The emotions of losing people, yeah, uh, you, you have that, uh, that thought sensation of, well, was it really worth it? Was all the lives lost and all the injuries occurred uh, or incurred uh, worth it? Uh, big picture, yeah, because, you know, there was no terrorist attacks on the United States for the past 20 years. You know, there are uh, a lot of the... Uh, uh, I guess you want to call them conspiracy theorists that think that, uh, you know, there's plots within our government to do, you know, bad things. And, and it was all arranged by, you know, uh, the powers that be to, you know, it, it, it was a necessary thing. So, I mean, it, there, there's a lot of opinions out there. I try to do my every day to uh, at least remember and, and never forget the fallen comrades that we've had overseas. Uh, I try to, uh, you know, pay homage to the ones that were injured. Um, and, and I try to do what I can for those that serve. And so taking on the leadership role of uh, being that, that ear to lend uh, when, you know, I've, I find a young service member, uh, and, you know, falling on hard times and just needing somebody to talk to. Because I mean, really and truly, it's what we need sometimes. It's just somebody to talk to, somebody to open up. And it's not uncommon. I, I've had guys call me at three o'clock in the morning, ready to pull a trigger. And I, I've been there to just talk and, and be that ear to listen to them and, and help them get through that current situation. Now, unfortunately, I haven't had that opportunity and have lost friends to their own hands. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if there's any way that I can give back uh, to my fellow veterans, I, I'm going to do it. Even if it is financial assistance, I will help whatever I can, uh, you know, even out of my own pocket. I've been blessed. I, I, I've done I've done well in life. And I'm still doing well now. So if there's any kind of assistance that I can do, I'm, I'm going to try and do it for you. Right. Completely agree with you. And I'm in the same boat. I think the biggest thing there is that sometimes it's so hard. And the frustrating thing about it is that, number one, a lot of times you don't know what's going on, obviously. Yep. Number two, like the, there's stigmas behind it all. I, my biggest thing is, is you're never, everybody's going to have regrets about not reaching out, but man, it's a hell of a lot easier if you just reach out, you know, keep your circle the way that it is and make sure that you're checking in on your buddies. Cause that's the biggest, the biggest thing. And then when you start to notice somebody going off, you know, on their own, not replying to things, just check in on them. It takes, yep. you know, a couple minutes out of your day, but it literally could, could save somebody's life. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I can spare 30 seconds to shoot a text to somebody that I haven't talked to in a while uh, just to say, hey, man, you're on my mind and I'm thinking about you. If you ever need anything, please reach out. And I tell you, that conversation, it, it, it shoots right back to you and it gets things festering. I mean, you, you never know what people are going through uh, until you take the time to reach out to them. I think one thing that, that sets people apart and definitely leaders and, and in the position that you are now, but definitely when you're, you're still in the service prior to retirement is the, be the best way to become a, a good leader is to make mistakes. And I think the biggest thing about some people making mistakes is that they make mistakes and for some reason they don't learn a lot afterwards. So I don't know yeah. if you want to talk about a mistake that you made somewhere part, you know, along your career and kind of the, 
describe what happened and then the steps that you took afterwards and kind of what you learned from it to make it the person and leader that you are today. Well, I, I can give you a good one. And that caveats to my program, Operation Double Eagle. Uh, so being a career counselor, my focus was to help the uh, transitioning service members. And so I always told everybody, you know, prepare for your, your, uh, your exit strategy, you know, start applying for schools, start learning about programs, learning about nonprofit, get your exit ready. So when you step out, you're not failing. And here's the guy that's telling everybody to do this, but I failed to do it for myself. But luckily, uh, you know, I, I like to, you know, be proactive and uh, I'm, I'm really eager and aggressive when it comes to just getting involved in things. So I, I was able to turn around pretty quickly from it, especially, you know, jumping right into the nonprofit space. Um, you know, I knew my retirement and stuff was going to be coming in. I, I didn't need uh, a, a second career right away. So, you know, in, in that uh, scheme of things, I was kind of blessed to, to just uh, find my niche. And getting back into helping people is where I found it. And so finding my way into the Warrior Alliance and, and being the, the program uh, manager for Operation Double Eagle, it, that was it. You know, it, it was helping transitioning soldiers. And, you know, here I am, uh, you know, being notified that we are now a career skills program uh, entity of the, of the U.S. Army. So through the Soldiers for Life and Transitions Assistance Program, Soldiers now exiting the military can uh, apply for Operation Double Eagle and they can come to us for nine weeks and then I will put them in a golf course for an internship for nine weeks. And before they're exiting the Army, they will have a career opportunity that they can put their hands on and, and get their, their mind wrapped around it uh, before even getting out of the military. So that's, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, my failure turned around to my success and then it correlates to helping the the future uh not uh, have that problem right that's phenomenal i didn't even know that it was part of the built-in transition plan now yeah and honestly uh, you and get this training knocked out prior to actually leaving service that's right yeah so we are we are officially a career skills program uh so we are acknowledged as csp through the soldiers for life that's great, man. So uh, let's move on to a little bit more golf, golf specific stuff. So I saw you out two weeks ago at the tour championship. Uh, so prior to the tour championships, <laughs> since I live in, since I live in Augusta, um, I actually would do it. The, the $10 an hour gig for the security company that, uh, that helps with the, with the Augusta national. Um, so, you know, I've got about five, five different tournaments that I've done. Uh, got a pretty cool position. So I'm right behind the clubhouse and all the golfers and all the green jackets and, you know, all the members and everybody, they pass through my area. So I've got a lot of uh, good experiences of being around golf, being very intimate with golf and the, the professionals. Um, and, and so going out to the tour championship, it was just, you know, it's the Super Bowl uh, uh, of golf. I believe that's the way that they call it the Super Bowl, but uh um, yeah, I, I got to work the event on, uh, Thursday, uh, and then, uh, I, I made it special and I took my daughter to, uh, to Sunday and, uh, you know, got to, you know, introduce her to a championship tour, uh, event. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. 
I guess I never put two and two together that where actually the security would be coming from. You see, you know, armed police walking around all over the place, but of course there yeah, would be more. They, uh, so the, the company, uh, they hire over uh, 2000 people throughout the, or for the week. Uh, and then of course, you know, just the long shifts, uh, the, the amount of standing around all day long, the, the numbers start to attrit down. So I think, at the end of the uh, master's week, we probably have about 900 people. So they, they lose quite a few people, but uh, it really, it, uh, it immersed me into the game of golf, being directly uh, in the, the thick of things, especially where the golfers are walking, you know, from the clubhouse out to the number one tee box or out to the practice green. Uh, got a lot of great uh, interactions with folks. Um, you know, getting to, to, you know, have small chat with Tony Finau, uh, getting to, to joke around with uh, Jordan Spieth's parents, you know, as they're uh, watching their son walk by and some Army Ranger slaps him on the butt and gives him a good game, um, <laughs> which, which I actually did on a dare uh, to, you know, just just being around the greats. I mean, getting to see, uh, you know, Tiger Woods win his last one's just I mean, it's it, it's a, an experience in life that unless you actually are doing it for yourself it doesn't portray on TV as it does in person. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody, every golfer's like dream playground to go to is Augusta national. You yep. get to go there almost every year, but you're going there for a completely different tasking and that's to actually work. I guess, does that take anything away from, from being on the grounds or maybe probably add My adds to it? Cause you're not, you're getting a completely different perspective of it. Yeah, uh, I, I sort of enhance mine um, because I have uh, uh, a little bit of access to everything as opposed to, you know, the, the general patron that pays, you know, the absorbent amount of money for tickets. I dabble a little bit to enjoy it a little more. Absolutely. No, nobody blames you for that. They probably they probably cuss you out if you weren't trying to stretch the limits there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Jeremy, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the overview, not only of uh, Warriors Alliance, but Operation Double Eagle. We're definitely going to drive people over there. If you're interested, we'll include the links in the podcast description. And uh, people can go there to find out more information and, and definitely to get involved. But Jeremy, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? Uh, so I would say for the transitioning uh, service members out there, uh, golf is a really cool aspect of life to get into. And working on a golf course, uh, uh, believe it or not, is uh, something that I am really putting my uh, heart and soul behind. Uh, so come try it out. But uh, definitely, you got any uh, issues or, or uh, starting a transition in, in your uh, life, check out Operation Double Eagle. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Cody.